The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, glory. This is Dudley. Good to be back with you again. We've been in the book of Galatians now for, for a little while. It wasn't necessarily planned. We didn't say we we're going to do a Galatians study, but that seems to be where we are because of where we are as a people right now. Before we get into it, however, as we talk about the power of the gospel, I want to remind you of some things that can be very helpful to you. One is a series, first of the year, you ought, you ought to be dealing with foundations. So several years ago, two years ago, I think, uh, I took the time to, to put down some of the foundations of uh, the gospel. I did this for some churches that were wanting to start over and build their church on the foundations of the gospel. So this is about as uh, concise and and clear as I can make what I believe is the foundations of building the community of faith. So uh, get it. You can get it. Uh, you can get the physical copy. You can go to the website and uh, download it. You can get it, but you ought, you ought to get it and use it in your family, in your small group, in your church, wherever you can. Uh, hey, some good things are coming up. Uh, the Leadership uh, Expedition Alumni uh, what we call it, homecoming or, or get-together. We, we're doing that in January, uh, the, the weekend of the 14th, 15th. And if you know some of the guys who have been through LE for the last 25 years or so, uh, encourage them to come. It's a wonderful time of, of guys from all the, all the years. Some, uh, we'd love to have some from every year to come and get together and say, what's going on in your life? And you know, we'll have some great fellowship, great stories, uh, great gospel celebration. So please encourage the uh, LE alumni to come to the to the homecoming. And then right after that, uh, on February 18th, the weekend of February 18th, we're doing the father-daughter. This is one of the most uh, powerful things we do. It uh, the more and more daughters are being attacked in the in the uh, culture, social media, and all that kind of stuff, there really needs to be a great relationship between fathers and daughters. And this this retreat's about that. It's not just a father-daughter dance and a father-daughter banquet. As wonderful as those are, this is a whole lot more in-depth. So uh, daughters need to be uh, 14 and up, and doesn't matter how, how far up. Uh, we've had some pretty uh, mature uh, daughters come along with some Pretty mature dads. So I uh, hope you'll do that. And then the big big event for the spring for us is the Epic Conference, March 3rd, 4th, and 5th. This is where we'll be dealing with the myths that are contradicting and counteracting the gospel that are prevalent in our culture today and, and how the gospel confronts those. So uh, there's just no reason <laughs> that you should not be at that. It'll be at Sojourn Church in Carrollton, Texas. And uh, the speakers are uh, great. We got Sam Storms as our guest speaker this year. You're going to have Alan Wright and Kenny and me and Tom and, you know, wh whoever else is speaking uh, will all be on the subject of detecting and destroying the myths that are coming against us. The Theme of the conference is fear no evil. Uh, the best story wins. And you got to know what that best story is. Uh, 
So be there with all your family and all your elders and everybody else. You can register now. And there is early registration. So register now. Call, go online, do it today. Otherwise, you'll plan something for that weekend. You can't come. Okay, you ready to get into Galatians? What we've been doing in the last uh, few months is we've been talking about the critical nature of the, the truth of the gospel. I have made the statement before that if you listen to popular conversation, you would you would come away thinking, well, the big issue in our society is either uh, leftism versus rightism or Trumpism versus hate Trumpism or uh, immigration or critical race theory or Green New Deal. Or, uh, there are lots of stuff. There, there is a bunch, uh, a category of stuff that's just vying for our attention that's saying, this is the big issue, this is the big issue, this is the big issue. If you don't settle this, you know, it's not, uh, life is not worth living. And I've made the statement that the biggest issue, the biggest issue is none of those. All of those are important. The biggest issue is the clarity and the simplicity of what is the gospel. Why? Why do I say that? Because the gospel alone is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation meaning correcting everything in any area of life that is out of God's order. So salvation is restoration. It, it is uh, making things work according to God's design. And the gospel is the only power to that because the gospel is the only thing that transforms the human heart. And the human heart is what determines the human actions. And so if you're going to change a culture, the values of a culture, then you've got to change the human heart. And uh, until there's a critical mass of people who have embraced the gospel and have the values of the gospel at the core of their being, then their policies, their laws, their regulations, their, their structures are all going to be malformed because uh, there needs to be some people who, is, who, who are infecting the rest of the culture. It doesn't mean everybody in the culture has to buy into the gospel, but there needs to be a remnant, a, a critical mass. And so uh, that's the issue. And the church has been given, has been tasked with the responsibility to proclaim that gospel. Paul calls the church the ground and pillar of truth. If the church gets off truth, then the whole society is off truth. Because the church is supposed to be the one the entity, the agent of the kingdom that defines truth. So uh, the gospel is essential and it is under attack. You think hell doesn't know how important the gospel is? So what is hell attacking? It's attacking the gospel. It is, uh, it is trying to not, not, you know, in some cases it's coming against it with hostile atheism and all that, and, and in, in a lot of cases, coming against it just by replacing it with secularism. But even in the church itself, there's an attack. And that is, the church thinks it's preaching the gospel when it's not preaching the gospel. And when that is true, then uh, we, we think we're fine. You know, we, we're doing all the right stuff, saying all the right words, doing all the right rituals. And yet, it is not producing a changed culture. 
almost every conversation I get in, there is brought up how how hostile, how vitriolic we are toward one another. How television, if you're watching one Fox News or CNN or MSNB, whatever you're watching, it's hostile against the other side. And uh, even in Christian discussions, it's the same thing. And so people are, are they're aware that we're not getting along very well. They're aware that we're not, we don't know how to discuss issues anymore, that we can't come to the table and let reason and commonality uh, and respect for each other take over, that we, that we don't know how to relate. Well, <clears throat> uh, that's a result of a bad gospel. So that's what we want to, we want to talk about this, uh, this month. So if you have a copy of the scripture, you can go ahead and turn with me over to Galatians chapter four. Uh, so why did Paul write Galatians? He wrote Galatians because the, these were people who had heard the gospel, but were now being tempted to regress, to go back to a previous time. And so let's take this text and we'll, we'll try to put it in context and then we'll, we'll let it speak to us. Uh, Galatians 4, 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to beings that by nature are not God's. Now, however, that you've come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits? How can you want to be enslaved to them again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that my work for you may have been wasted. Friends, brothers, I beg you, become as I am, for I have become as you are. You've done me no wrong. You know that it was because of a physical infirmity that I first announced the gospel to you. Though my condition put you to the test, you did not scorn or despise me, but welcomed me as an angel of God or as Christ Jesus himself. What's become of the goodwill you felt? I testify that had it been possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. How have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, the they they're referring to the false gospel preachers, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to exclude you so that you may make much of them. It's good to be made much of for of a good purpose at all times. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I'm again in pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I were present with you now and could exchange my tone for I'm complexed about you. Okay, so here's the context. Paul made an unplanned visit to Galatia, to the area of Galatia. Uh, we, we don't exactly know what changed his plans, except it was because of a physical infirmity. We don't know, really know if he, it was such severe persecution in one of the places he had been that he was uh, somewhat disabled and deformed or, or whatever. But somehow there was a physical persecution, physical infirmity that reduced him to a weakness that could, been, could have easily been offensive or at, uh, not only offensive, but could have taken a lot of people's time, could have been uh, requiring their uh, 
special care and all of that. And so he comes to them that had not been on the plan, and he, he tells them the gospel. They are so exhilarated. They, it, it is such a big deal when they hear this gospel because when they hear what Paul is saying, when he tells them the story of the Bible and how it culminates in Christ, they are ecstatic. They are so liberated from all the stuff they have been trying to do. They can't believe it. And yet they are now seeing this new reality that Paul is describing, and it lifts their eyes so that even as they look at Paul, they don't see him, they don't focus on him as the messenger, they focus on the message. It's like, whoa, this guy, with all of his weaknesses and with all of his possible offenses here, he has told us a truth that is transforming. Because he had told them how the, how the story of the Bible really works. Because you see, they were fighting over, uh, well, you know, God chose the Jews and that, that means that there's favor with the Jews. And then we Gentiles, we were kind of left out and, and now we're, we're called to come to Christ. And uh, does a Jew have a little advantage there because of uh, their prior uh, purpose? And, and can we ever get in on that? And, and of course, these people are saying, no, no, there are two levels. And you can be a Christian and you can be an elite Christian. And you got to go through the initiation rites that we require in order for you to be elite Christian. So there was this division uh, that was going on. And Paul comes along and tells them the story of the gospel. And he tells them how after God had created Adam and Eve and they were in the garden and they had sinned and sin came into the world and began to, to, to bring chaos where, where God's order was, they, uh, th that God did not give up, that God had, had a plan. He had a plan all along that one day he'd have a people on the earth who only had one common identity marker, and that was their relationship to him. They would be his people, and they would bring blessings to the creation that Adam and sin brought curses to. And so the whole story of the Bible is God doing that. Last month, we talked about the promise God made to Abraham, and that was the promise, the backbone promise of all the story. God said, I'm, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, your, your seed, singular, your seed will be the instrument through which I reverse the curse on creation and bring blessing. And so Abraham's physical seed was Isaac, uh, Jacob, uh, and Joseph, and then the 12 patriarchs, and, and then eventually Moses and David and Solomon and, and so forth. And so all of that was a part of God's plan, purpose, to have a people that he would bless the world through. Well, that physical people was Israel. He made a covenant with them. We discover later that the covenant that God made with them was not just to show them the right way of doing things, which it was. It was a perfect law but it was to expose the depth of sin inside of them to reveal to them, no matter what good intentions they had or what a great law they had, they couldn't do it. And so the law was to expose them. So the law was kind of the elemental principles to get them to the place where they realize we need a savior. 
We need somebody who can really obey the law, who can pay the penalty for the law, and who can represent us before God. We need that. So the law was an elemental, it was like a kindergarten teacher, a guardian. Uh, so, so, so that was true of the Jews. And so he, he tells them that, that God's promise then was true. God promised that Israel would be his instrument. So how did he fulfill that promise? Well, he fulfilled that promise by Jesus being Israel. So Jesus came as the Messiah, the representative of Israel. He was all of Israel in one person. And as Israel, he obeyed all the covenant stipulations. And as Israel, he paid the penalty of all the sins of, of the world. So he was the priest. And so as Israel, God fulfilled his promise. And so he is saying now to the Galatians, you, Gentile or Jew, you now have been blessed only in Christ Jesus. And as you come to him, you have an identity and your identity is you are in Christ. You don't have any, all your other distinctions are important as you relate, but they do not identify you. And so your identity is uh, only as it relates to Christ. So he told them this, this, uh, this story. Well, you can imagine, I hope you can imagine how excited they were. It's like, whoa, whoa. I mean, the Gentiles are going, you mean we're invited in? We're on equal ground with all the Jews, Moses, Elijah, and Dave? We're, we're on equal ground? Yep, because it's all based on in Christ. Whoa, they were saying, that's amazing. Uh, are, are you saying then that we are, all the promises that God made about inheritance and, and, and getting what he owns? And uh, Yep, he said, you get it. Because the son gets it, you see? You get everything the son gets, and Jesus is the only son, so he inherits everything the father has. And because you're in him, you are joint heir with him. Whoa, whoa, that's amazing. And, and, and what, about, what about all through the, the Bible, the Old Testament, it talks about the day of the Lord, and it talks about a, a new creation, and, and God coming and vindicating his way and, and restoring his age. What Are we a part of that? We get to see that? And he was like... Hey, let me tell you when that started. That started when Jesus came. And when he walked out of the tomb, a new era had begun because now the resurrected life is the normal life. We are to live based on the truths and the revelation of the resurrection. And one day, your own bodies will be resurrected like Christ. And so this thing is going to go on forever. But it starts not with the last coming of Christ that we look forward to and uh, and culmination of things on the earth, but started with the resurrection. So it's like, man, we're part of the new creation. We we are the first fruits of that whole thing that God is now working out in history. So you can imagine the level of excitement they were having. Then what happened was there's some people that came up from Jerusalem who hadn't quite got a hold of that kind of gospel. They were promoting a gospel that still had as its basis the elemental principles. So Paul takes that concept here as he deals with the elemental principles. And he says, why, why would you want to go back to a former time where your life was being controlled by spirits unbeknownst to you that were manipulating you through the elemental principles? Now, what, what were those? All right, let's, uh, there were two, two groups. For the Jews, it was the laws, the law that God had given. 
these laws were, were saying to Israel, appealing to the human default mode of, if I will be good, I will be loved and blessed. If I am bad, I will not be loved and I will be cursed. Okay, that's, that's, that's built into the fallen human nature. So applying on that, the law said, God said, let me give you the real laws, not the ones that are made up or people's ideas or whatever. Let me give you the real ones. If you follow these stipulations, you will be blessed. And if you don't, you will be cursed. And so there's like, yay, yay, yay. Uh, and, and as I've already said, God knew that they couldn't. So it would prepare them to say, we can't. Can somebody help us? And Jesus comes along and says, I'll be your representative. I'll do it for you. So, so he's the new covenant uh, maker. So, so the Jews had lived under the law as elemental principles, but they were enslaving because why were they enslaving? Because you, you can't do them. And so they were always producing guilt and fear and shame and, uh, you know, frustration. And so he was saying, if you go back to the time of the kindergarten, when it's now time to graduate high school, you're being totally foolish. So, so spiritually, he's, he's making that connection. Now, to the Gentiles, what elemental spirits? Well, there were spirits working behind the superstitions and the fears and the myths and the religions that Gentiles were coming up with. Because everybody's religious, you see. I mean, everybody was in uh, Adam when he was hiding behind the bush trying to figure out, what can I do to appease this God? So the Gentiles came up with all kinds of religions and all kinds of myths and all kinds of superstitions and concepts of luck and concepts of karma and concepts of uh, what goes around comes around and all, all these kind of things that govern life. And, and so life is lived controlled by fears and, and suspicion and anxiety and hostility. And, and if you're going to make it, you got to you know, survival of the fittest. You got to wipe everybody out. All of that's motivated by spirits of deception. And, and so when, when you make an elemental spirit or elemental principle the main thing, then you are giving in to the deception behind that. And so what the Jews had done is they, the, the Jews of, of Jesus' day, they, they had made the law an idol. And when, when you make the law an idol, then there's a spirit that works with that idol that enslaves you and mocks you. It promises you something and then curses you because you can't do it. And so that's, that's why they were living. So, so he's saying, okay, all of you Jews, like, like Peter had said to him one time, why are we putting a yoke on people that we can't do ourselves? Look at our history. Uh, I mean, from the time God gave the law to Moses until now, have we been able to do it? No. So why are we going to put that back on them? So, so, so the point is, Paul is saying both of you, both groups, Jews and Gentiles, were controlled by these elemental principles. Now, what's the heart of the elemental principle? Well, I mentioned it earlier, but it's this. If you will do something, then God will do something. It, the, the heart of the elemental principle is that if man has to take the initiative, if I'll be good, God will be good to me. If I will do 
these particular uh, regulations, stipulations, then, then God would be good. If I do something, then God responds to me. That's the heart of the rudimentary, beggarly, weak principles. Because it leaves it all up to you. If I pray more, God will give me more. If I'll be nicer, God will be nicer to me. Da-da, da-da, da-da. So that is the heart of it. And anytime you hear a teacher, false teacher, come along and saying, hey, I got a new thing to do. If you'll do this, then this will guarantee blessings. This will guarantee assurance. This will guarantee joy. This will guarantee that people will like you. This will guarantee your glory. This will guarantee your success. This will guarantee your prosperity. If, if you hear somebody say, if you will do this, then you can get that. You know they've gone back to elemental principles. Now, those, are those elemental principles true on, on the physical level? Yes. It's true if you plant corn, you get up corn. If you plant a lot of corn, you get up a lot more corn. You know, it's true. Uh, when winter comes, it's a good idea to put on a coat. You'll be warmer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it, there, there are elemental principles that govern the physical realm of the world. But think about this. The, the principle of sowing and reaping, which is one of the basic principles that, that govern, governs the created order. Whatever you sow, there you reap. God put that in place so, so we could order things and we could get what we wanted by planting what we needed. And uh, so, but, but ultimately that's fulfilled in Christ. Because Christ came and he became the seed that was planted. And because he was planted, uh, those who trust him get everything that he is. So what do we get? We get his life. We get his perspective. We get his spirit. We get his future. We get his, his righteousness. We, we get to rule with him. So yes, because he planted his life, we get the produce. So, so, uh, so Paul is saying, I'm concerned about you as a minister because I preached to you a gospel that had some really good fruit. But now I'm seeing some bad fruit and I'm wondering what happened. So what, was, what happened when they first heard the gospel? Their eyes were open to see the fullness of the story. They, began, they could understand the story. Uh, they, they understood reality from a gospel perspective. So obviously Paul had explained to them the story as, as I previously said to you, because all through the book of Galatians, he refers back to it. So we know that he told them the story. So now they, they saw the story. So now finally the Bible makes sense to them. Now finally they understand, oh, that was the purpose of the law. Oh, that's why the Jews were chosen. They were not chosen because they were better and they're not better. And, and being nice to the Jew doesn't, doesn't gain me anything other than, than being nice to anybody. So, so, so they saw the purpose of what God had done in history. And because of that, they received everybody on the same level. And, and because of that, they were gracious so the topic of our study this month is grace makes graciousness. If you receive the gospel of grace, you inevitably show grace. And showing grace means that now you are looking beyond physical, temporal, ethnic, 
uh, intellectual, it, all the distinctions that, that men have to, that God has created for us, the, the mighty gifts that he's given to us, all of those are, are important but not defining. They do not define our identity. They don't define our worth. And, and so these, <laughs> these Galatians, were when they heard the gospel, it's like, yeah, Paul's got some, some deals here, but that's not, a, that's not the big deal. We know him after Christ. We live in a new reality now. We live after the resurrection. We have resurrection life in us. We know Paul after the Spirit. He's an apostle. He is sent by God. He's like an angel to us, angel being messenger. He is sent by God to us with a message. He is Christ's representative. And, and as Christ's representative, we're going to honor him in that role. He's not Christ. He's not an angel. But he, he plays those roles, and so we see who he is, and we're going to treat him with that kind of respect and that kind of honor because we see him that way. Okay, what, what happened? Well, these guys came in saying to him, whoa, 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 y'all getting way off here on this grace stuff. Uh, you still have to come into the kingdom through the Jewish door. So if you want to be like really elite Christians, you have to be circumcised and you need to do the Sabbaths and you need to do some dietary stuff. You, you, need, to be, uh, you need to go back to some of, some of these things. And so it's like, okay, well, that, that does kind of appeal to my natural sense of, you know, you get what you deserve and you do have to do something to get something. And so, so they, were, they were drifting back into that. And it does sound good. It sounds so good that you can build a big crowd. In fact, that's what, the, that, that's what Paul accuses them of doing. He said, let me tell you what's happening to these, these false teachers. They haven't received the gospel themselves. Therefore, they need affirmation. They need the affirmation that you are listening to them, you think they're wonderful, and, and that you're going to follow them. And so they measure their success, their salvation, that is their sense of worth, sense of value. They measure that by how many of you are following them. So they get to count you. They go, oh, wow, we got more than Paul's group now. We, we're growing really fast now. And so we've got our group. So they need you to follow them. So they so what do they do to get you to follow them? They appeal to that old thing that's in all of us of if you'll do more, you'll get more. If you'll do something, you'll get something. If you do these initiation rites, uh, then you're really in. See, there's something in all of us. You know this. Uh, C.S. Lewis spoke about about the inner circle thing. That There's something in all of us that wants to be in the elite group. We all feel like we aren't. It's like, you know, I was, I was never in the elite nerd groups. Like, I, I, I wish I could discuss things like that. I, I, you know, I played athletics, but I was never like the elite athlete. Like, what can I do to get into the elite bunch? Well, they're appealing to that fleshy thing. So they're saying, let me tell you what to do if you want to get into the elite bunch. You got to be, you got to go through the Jewish door. You got to identify here. And, and, and so th th that is a big problem. It's still a big problem. It was the big problem in the church, still a big problem. I read a recent survey that said 51% of evangelicals in America believe that the Jews are still the chosen people of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, it, it means that they believe that, that there's a Jewish bias, that, that, if, that there's more favor to being Jewish than there is not being Jewish.
what Paul is saying, no, the Jews as a, as a, as a tribe, as a physical entity, were so, so needed, so special because God used them as his tool to bless the world, but he, he had to do it through Jesus. Jesus is the issue. And, and, and so we still have a little bit of people like, man, I wish I was a Jewish Christian because they're, they're a complete Christian. No, a person in Christ is a complete Christian. The Jews had their role to play in, in history, and, and it was an important role, thank God. But now God's heart is, I want all Jews and all Gentiles to come together in Christ so that they are one, so that I can show all the principalities and the powers of heaven that I can tear down a wall between Jew and Gentile. I can tear down any wall and I can have one people unified by the Spirit of God because their identity is in Christ. So, so here, here's what the, let me, let me get back. Here's what the false teachers were doing. They were setting up a two-tiered uh, uh, hierarchy here that, uh, that, there, that still some of the distinctions between Jew and Gentile mattered. And it's a strong thing. We've talked about it before. It, it pulled... Peter into it over at Antioch, also Barnabas and some of the others, they, they were pulling it. It's a strong thing. So we need to be on the alert against that. And how do you be on the alert against it? By receiving the gospel of grace. Because once you, once you realize what God has done in Christ Jesus and he has torn down every distinction that would give us identity, once you know that, then you, you see and, and you're, you receive people for who they are. And you know people after the Spirit, just like they knew Paul. They looked at Paul. I don't know. You know, we, we've had scholars to kind of guess what he looked like, you know. I, I kind of resent the fact that they they see this as a negative, but they say he was probably a bald-headed <laughs> little guy. Uh, I'm not a little guy, but uh, whatever it was, he was not impressive. And he wa wasn't all that skillful a speaker. I think he knew how to do the oratory stuff. He chose not to use it, but I, I don't know. But what had happened? What was his infirmity? I don't know. It was, uh, one thing was he got persecuted a lot and that's not, that's not real attractive to people who want a leader who's uh, successful. And, and so it's not a good, I, you know, it doesn't feel good to go to the Qantas club and go, well, let me tell you who my leader is. He's been in jail. He's got a, he's got a, a jail record long as your arm. He's been uh, he's been stoned. Uh, he's been rejected. He's been shipwrecked in the sea. He's been hungry. He's been cold. He's been uh, he's been forgotten. Uh, it's like yeah, that's a that's that's a good leader. All right, I don't think I want to follow him. And, and so I I don't know what all the deficits were in Paul's life that could have been a test to them that called, could have could have caused them to go you know. Uh, we're not, but all I know is once they started buying into the elemental thing, their eyes dropped and they began defining things in terms of temporal, what I can observe, what I see, what I like, and uh, and Paul didn't measure up. He, he he was not the great entertainer. He was not the great leader. Because here's what Paul believed: I won't tell you the gospel. I'm going to present the gospel to you as I do. The Holy Spirit is going to come. And, get, and, and move in your heart, regenerate you, you're going to become a son of God. And as you do, 
as you relate to Jesus now, Jesus is going to reveal himself to you and bring you along, and Christ is going to be formed in your heart. And daily, consistently, you're going to begin to see things like he sees, act like he acts, because he's transforming you from the inside. I'm going to, to bring you to Christ. That was Paul's deal. These false teachers are going, no, you got to do what we say. We need to keep you kind of under our control here and under our guidance because you, you can't handle all that. And so, so they were preaching to them a gospel that kept the ministers in control. You, in order for you to be a loyal Christian, you got to do these, come to church, tie, do this kind of stuff. So, so what's Paul, what's he saying? He, he gives us a little bit of uh, psychoanalysis here. He said, let me tell you about these guys. They need you to affirm them because they are not being affirmed in Christ. They don't really know that they are sons of God. They don't really know that they're ambassadors. They are, they need you to affirm them. Therefore, they are affirming you. They're puffing you. They're appealing to whatever you want. They're telling you, look, if you'll do these things, you can, you can, you can get stuff. So, uh, so he say, he's saying they've got a codependent thing going on. Now, sadly, there's a lot of that in ministry. Sadly, there are a lot of those who pastor, teach, preach, whatever, who, who need the people's affirmation so badly that they, they're trapped. It's one of those enslaving principles. If you have to have people's affirmation, you're a slave. Paul says, all of us like it. It's good to be made, made much of, he said. Everybody lacks affirmation. To, to, to deny that is to deny reality. Yes, I'd rather somebody affirm me than disaffirm me. Hadn't you? Of course. But if you need it, if it's required of you in order for you to feel worthy and to feel confident in his presence, then you are a slave to elemental principles. And, and you know what? Your ministry will put people in slavery. It will cause people to do things to build you up rather than you doing everything to build them up. So, so Paul is saying these false teachers, uh, their problem is they haven't received the gospel of grace. Because if you get the gospel of grace, your eyes are lifted, your reality is changed, you're now living in a new creation. You're now evaluating people on the basis of who they are in Christ. You're seeing them as, as God's instrument in your life. And you, you'll be able to look at a non-impressive person like Paul and go, he's an angel. At least he's an angel to me. He's a messenger of God to me. He's, he's Christ's representative to me. Instead of, you know what? He says, ah, too much in his sermons. Uh, his sermons are too long. Oh, you know, he, he drives the wrong kind of car. You know, I, I, I wish he'd wear different clothes. Uh, you know, he's not really good at praying. I wish he'd get somebody else to pray. Uh, once you start getting into those areas, you're revealing that you're living in a reality much lower than the one the gospel produces. You're living at a, at a level where you're evaluating things after the flesh, after observation, analysis, all of that. And so why would you want to live there? That's Paul's point. Why would you want to be 
living at this level of freedom, of joy, why would you want to be living there and then come back down and live here and now live with a frown on your face and fears and all of that when you could be living this way? And so that's why he says, look, I'm concerned about you. I really am concerned about you because I can't control you. I think the false teachers would have said, we're concerned about you and we'll, we'll fix it. Do this, do this, do this, do this, and you'll be fine. Paul said, no, I, I have to tell you the truth. I have to trust the Holy Spirit to make it real to you. And then I have to trust the Spirit in you to guide you as Jesus is formed in you. So their goal, the false teacher's goal, was to get people to follow them. To, and they would do that by shutting them out, saying, hey, if you don't do certain things, you're not in. And, and then they would puff them up. Paul's goal was, to, he said, here's my goal. I just want Christ to be formed in you. He uses a metaphor here that I think is really interesting. He said these false teachers, they're like mothers who have a child, but they want to keep you a child. In other words, even they, even maybe they want to keep you in the womb. But he said, me? I'm a mother. I'm in labor. I want to get you out of here. Nine months is over. I want to get you out and on your own, and I want you with your eyes on Jesus, not on me, appreciative of me, but, but your eyes on Jesus, and I want Christ to be formed in your life. So he says, be like me. What, what does Paul mean, like, say, be like me? He's not talking about, you know, be like me in dress, be like me in giftings, be like me in person. No, he's saying, I see you. I see you as one in Christ. I see you as God's people. I see you as forgiven. I see you as restored. I see you as a, par a partner with God in his process, his purpose of, of, of blessing the earth. I see you that way. Be, be like that. And when Christ is formed in you, that's how you will see things. Wouldn't it be great if we had some people, the church? What, what if the church, all of those who, who have heard the gospel and, and maybe have received it at one point are... What if everybody in the church, we'll put it like that, we're living like Paul is saying the gospel produces this graciousness. There would be no backbiting. There would be no partisanship. There would be no judging one another, putting one another down. There'd be no ignoring. There'd be no competition. There would be no measuring our success by how many followers we got and all that kind of stuff. There'd be none of that. What if we had a critical mass of people living like that in the church do you think possibly we might affect the, the, the culture? How, how are we going to get Democrats and Republicans to sit and talk to each other? How are we going to get conservatives and liberals to ever discuss the real issues and be concerned about the real state of, the, uh, of our, our country or of our world? How, how are we going to get leaders of nations to talk to each other? It's, it's only when the gospel of grace takes fearful people and makes them gracious. Only the, the gospel of grace produces graciousness. You can't produce it any other way. That's why I am saying and continue to say the critical issue is the clarity, the purity, and the simplicity of the gospel. I hope you will see that, and I hope you, if you have tended to drift back into some of the elemental stuff, it's, it's time today to take that one step back. Wow, 
Let me look at what God did in Christ Jesus. Who am I because of that? What is my purpose? Who are, who are all these people around me? And how can I relate to them in a way that honors God and shows respect to them? If you can get back there, your joy will return and you'll be, start, you'll be making the biggest difference in your nation, in your culture, in your world that you can make. Why don't we do that? Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that the gospel inevitably produces graciousness. We know that we cannot be gracious, not really, apart from it. We can act nice, we can have manners, but we cannot be truly gracious. We can't know people after the Spirit until your Spirit transforms us. So I'm praying today, Lord, as this word goes out, you would go with it, and that literally hundreds of people, one at a time, would say, I'm going to be... A, I'm going to be a product of, of the gospel of grace. I'm going to believe the new reality that Jesus brought to bear on the earth. A new thing is underway. I'm in it. I pray that that would be true across the board many, many times. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is Dudley Hall with Kerygma Ventures. I look forward to being with you guys next time. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M. A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.